There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value, and so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and welcome to the 300th unique edition of the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. I can't believe we've reached 300 editions. We're almost seven years now of broadcasting and uh, incredibly, uh, this show is accessed uh, from over 30 countries each week. Um, which is um, pretty incredible against a station average of seven. And I think we had the, the highest listenership up until April, for the up until April uh, across the business channel. So thank you so much for listening and uh, continuing to uh, listen. And I love to hear your messages and comments on the, on the shows. Today, we're going to talk about living a remarkable life. And my guest today, and um, the former Scotland rugby captain, Rob Wainwright, is joining me from a very remote part of Scotland. So uh, you may have to listen in carefully. The, the communication is not uh, not fantastic, um, but I'm sure you're going to find uh, Rob's story uh, really fascinating. Before I introduce you to Rob, though, I just want to share just a few thoughts from the, the 300 shows and all of the guests that I've had on the show around maybe living a remarkable life. Just a few sort of observations that I've had um, over the years, really. And I think it's it's interesting, you know, we've had guests on this show who have um, been world champions, who have set up amazing businesses, who've, you know, performed in the corporate sector, who've stood on the on the on the stage at Live Aid um, uh, in front of several billion people on the TV, um, as did um, Chris White playing saxophone for Dire Straits. We've had all sorts of people over the years. And I think it's interesting that when it comes to living a remarkable life, that it probably comes down to you know a couple of things and the first one is you know are you having an impact on the world and that can be of any scale it doesn't need to be standing in front of live aid it might be running a small business it might be inspiring kids it might be you know being a great teacher it might be being the rugby captain of scotland it could be a whole range of things but I also um, meet remarkable people who are just, you know, good people to be around. They enjoy every moment. They're grounded. They're humble. They're kind. And I think um, you can be uh, one of those things, but you can be both of those things as well. I also think that in business and life, that you have to be in, in any life, whether it's remarkable, you would define it or not. And I'm sure uh, there are many people listening here have done incredible things in their lives or hoping to do in the future. And I think what we have to do is realize that life has its ups and downs. It doesn't always go as we want it to. And uh, we have to just be not overly sensitive to that. That's part of the part of the journey. I think we also have to appreciate normal because life can change, um, like the, the weather can change. And uh, in Rob's life in Scotland, that will happen quickly. You know, we can get ill. Members of the family can get ill. We can have competitors take business from us. But we just have to, I think, uh, appreciate what we have and where we are at the moment. I think um, also, you know, a message that I get through talking to people is that family is really important and connections to people. You know, people who even don't have family anymore, um, who maybe the families have passed on or we've had people on the show been adopted or whatever. Uh, they often have to untangle the web of child issues and traumas so to enable them to move on. Um, I think we should also bear in mind we don't live forever, so we should make the most of our life. And and I also think that success is not all about qualifications. We've had guests on this show who've um, really performed poorly at school, but they've gone on to do incredible things. But what we do need to do, we need to build our confidence, be brave, take steps, deal with anxieties. And we've got to keep learning. So I'm really excited, you know, along that backdrop there, uh, to talking about you know some of the insights from the show uh, and the people that I've spoken to over the years that I think my guest has you know lived I'm sure many of these kinds of experiences and can probably relate to them. Uh, Rob Wainwright was brought up and educated at Glen Almond College in Perthshire, 
Uh, he went on to Cambridge University, which for those of you who know anything about Cambridge University, that's some achievement just to get into Cambridge. And while studying medicine there at Magdalen College, he gained blues in both boxing and rugby. Now, blues, I believe, is the sort of highest accreditation you can get at the university when it comes to, to, to sport. He played for the university rugby team in three varsity matches against Oxford. And he went on to gain 37 caps for Scotland between 1992 and 1998. He captained the national side 16 times and in 1997 took both the British and Irish Lions to South Africa. Uh, meanwhile, he pursued his medical career with the Royal Army Medical Corps, reaching the rank of major. On leaving the army and retiring from rugby, Rob and his wife, Romain, uh, decided on a, a really interesting change of scene. They moved to the Isle of Col, which is in the Hebrides, which is in um, Scotland, with their four children, where they now run an extensive mixed livestock farm and help out with the fire brigade, the coast guard, the community council, the coal show. Uh, Rob says he doesn't enjoy, he enjoys not enough fishing, and I agree with that in my life, I enjoy not enough fishing, a bit of shooting and too much cycling. So a huge welcome to my guest today, Rob Wainwright. Hello, Chris. Hi, Rob. How are you? Very good, very good. Just in, actually, from uh, from doing a bit of fishing, which has uh, been very really nice. Uh, on uh, at, uh, Further up the west coast, I'm at a friend's house uh, opposite the island that we, we live on, uh, on the, the west western seaboard of Scotland. And uh, it's a slightly miserable day, but the fish didn't mind. Oh, so and you caught some, did you? I, nothing particularly special, but I had a, a very nice time and, uh, and, and caught a sufficiency. Excellent. It's always it's just nice to be out there, isn't it, with, the, with nature when you're fishing? And, uh, and if you catch fish, it's a real bonus. But, uh, it's, uh, yeah. It is lovely. I've got to get the bird book out and look up an interesting uh, uh, wader that was out there still to identify, but uh, there's always a little bit of nature to be seen as well. And uh, it's, it, this is uh, an old stamping ground of mine in, in Moidart that I'm at at the moment, um, which is a very remote part of the, the Scottish mainland. And uh, it's just lovely to be back uh, on the ground and also catching up with old friends from here. Oh, wonderful! That sounds sounds brilliant. And and your your background is you're you're obviously we can tell by your accent. I think you you are from Scotland, and you were you were brought up in Perth. Tell me a little bit about you know your background and uh, you know your life growing up. Uh, well, I, I was brought up at, at a school. My father was a, a teacher at, at Glenarmon, which is a, a, a private boarding school. Um, it's obviously quite a privileged place, um, but the, to grow up there, the, the facilities uh, that were on our doorstep meant that we were, we were never short of things to do, swimming pool, tennis courts, rugby pitches, um, gyms, you know, it, it, anything we, we needed, it was there, and uh, it was a fantastic place to be, uh, to be brought up, lots of opportunity, uh, and also out in the, in the countryside, in Persia, so we'd jump on our bikes and go and explore, develop to love for, for nature and the outdoor life at the same time as uh, spending a lot of time doing stuff with balls, kicking it, throwing it, whatever. And uh, a, a great place to be uh, to be brought up. And uh, and then subsequently, I went to the school myself. And uh, as as you listed in my in my biography, uh, went on from there to university, but. Uh, had a fantastic uh, upbringing there. Um, I've still got friends. Uh, I was brought up with other teachers' children from there. And at the moment, I'm catching up with, with school friends, uh, three school friends who are at Glenarmon with me. And uh, just we all happen to be passing Moida at the same time. So we had a lovely gathering last night and uh, still got lifelong friends from that experience. Uh, sounds uh, a, a wonderful life and start. And was, you know, was rugby something that was really, uh, you know, popular at Glen Almond's College? And you know, obviously you picked that up at uh, a young age, I'm guessing, and became a passion. Well, my my ambitions, uh, you know, you, you were talking earlier about um, how we word it, how how, how one defines uh, exceptional achievements in, in life we could argue long and hard about but 
uh, certainly one of the key things, I think, to success in, in any field is having an idea of what you want to be successful at. And uh, uh, in many parts of, of, of the world, New Zealand particularly, Wales, you know, rugby is a, is a religion. And among young boys in certain parts of, uh, of British society, rugby is definitely, and was for me, uh, uh, a real religion. Um, but uh, my goal setting, um, my first goals were set uh, trying to emulate my father's, my father, my father's, my father, and, and my sisters. Who, uh, um, my father had a blue at Cambridge playing rugby, and uh, this was very much um, part of uh, you know the family identity that uh, a desire to go down to Cambridge. So two of my sisters went down there, and I was lucky enough to make it there myself. So my first ambitions weren't, weren't to do with playing for Scotland in rugby, but it was to to get a blue at Cambridge. And uh, upon arriving at Cambridge, I uh, had a knee problem, so I couldn't play rugby. And uh, <laughs> uh, so in the second term, my friend said, why not try and uh, play boxing instead? Uh, and my desire to get a blue was such that I, I changed sports and uh, and uh, was um, heavily influenced by, by being in a boxing gym because rugby back in those days was an amateur game and the whole, you know, there, there was very good coaching, uh, and we put a lot into it, but it's uh, almost unidentifiable to where the game is now in terms of professionalism and preparation. And to go into a boxing gym and to really push oneself hard uh, to get yourself in shape was uh, probably was the difference uh, in, in me going on to, to get blues and rugby and, and to go beyond that to, to play Scotland and, and uh, the Lions. But the, I, I think learning the work ethic and, and exactly how much you've got to hurt yourself in order to move forward and achieve what you want to achieve, uh, I learned that in in the, the boxing ring or more importantly in the, the actual boxing gym, training for the boxing ring. And for, for anybody you know, wondering what a, you know, what a blue is, uh, do you want to just explain... What that is, because it's obviously very something very familiar and important to people who go to Cambridge. Um, and I, and uh, I don't saying, but what what is a blue? Well, I, I believe that, that, that many American universities are, um, uh, are familiar with the idea. I believe it isn't just Oxford and Cambridge, but many universities. A blue is is uh, a recognition of the achievement in your particular sport, and and. The more high-profile and uh, popular sport is, the more likely you are to get a blue. Uh, so Cambridge, uh, if you played in the varsity match against Oxford, and generally speaking for Cambridge, you had to play uh, in a varsity match against Oxford, the great opposition, in order to get a blue. In minor sports, you'd only get half blue rather than a blue. Um, and in boxing, boxing was a discretionary blue, which meant that uh, some people got half blues and some people got blues. And my first boxing varsity match, I was lucky enough to uh, uh, be the deciding round. I was the heavyweight boxer. We'd had uh, eight bouts. It was four all. Cambridge hadn't won the boxing varsity match for nine years, and uh, my job was to win the last bout, which um, I, thankfully I did. And uh, as a sporting occasion, it was uh, you know. Absolutely amazing. Probably one of the best atmospheres I've ever experienced, you know, through all my sporting career uh, since then. But the, winning my uh, my match at the Rusty match and sealing a Cambridge win was enough for me to up my discretionary uh, or to up my half blue to uh, to a blue. So I got a blue in my second term at Cambridge, which um, there was a certain amount of kudos attached to that, and and. Talking about you know um, success, how one goes on to to achieve one's goals, uh, self confidence is obviously a massive part of that, and the, the confidence boost that one gets from uh, reaching the milestone of getting your blue um, in your second term when you're still just a, you know your freshman year at Cambridge was uh, again like the, the, what I learned at the boxing gym the. Uh, the confidence that gave me set me on the path to uh, the achievements that I was subsequently lucky enough to uh, to achieve. It's amazing, and it must be amazing having that kind of an atmosphere around you. Um, it, was that something it, that it, you enjoyed? It, it was. Uh, I mean, the, the the bear pit of the uh, of the boxing ring uh, 
with a very partisan crowd. Uh, you know, it's, I look back occasionally at, the, at some of the pictures. You know, we, uh, we didn't have cameras in our hands at all times back in those days. So the record of, of one's life uh, back then is is not you know day to day day to day recording as it is now with, with our phones. Mm-hmm. But um, the the light basically the, the the places in darkness. We had four small stands going down to the, the ring and the ring is brightly lit as anyone that's watched boxing, you know, or, or been to boxing match will know and the focus is very on there, very much on there. But uh, uh you know, the, it's it's quite a, a primeval sport to a degree boxing and uh um the the crowd was well lubricated you might say and in fine voice and uh you know one came away feeling on top of the world uh, as the man of the hour uh, in the event. And it was uh, a fantastic uh, night to, to remember and to be involved in. Excellent. Well, we're going to go to commercial break now. But after the break, you know, I want to find out a little bit more about uh, you know, about rugby and, uh, uh, and you know, how you became a successful captain for Scotland and some of the things that you, leadership lessons and things that you learnt uh, that we can maybe um, you know, all learn from from your great experience, Rob. So we'll be back again with you all in just a couple of minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with uh, Rob Wainwright, uh, former Scotland rugby captain. And we're talking about, um, before the break, about Rob uh, having his childhood and then having you know clear in his mind that he wanted to uh, play rugby but then found himself playing um, doing boxing and succeeding at that and that helped him uh, through to a real significant rugby success and getting blues at, uh, at Cambridge University and uh, then Rob um, you know with all that strength and and training that you'd done through boxing um, did that give you you know some more ability and a, a bit more um, what's the word sort of you know, respect from people in terms of then focusing your attention to rugby? Um, no, not really. I think the, the, uh, the lift it gave was to me, to my work ethic, and uh, one thing back back in those days, rugby players were a very different shape from what they are now. There's a huge amount of weight training uh, that is done but, uh, these days, and, and there's a huge amount of bulk involved in, uh, in the sport. Back then, I was just a skinny little thing that could run all day, um, and uh, things like you know, skipping, you know, non-stop skipping for six minutes uh, it was was about dealing with pain, uh, you know, uh, uh, pain from build up of lactic in uh, in muscles, but the ability to go through it and uh, and push on in spite of it, and and. Uh, Certainly, I, I've always built my, my, my rugby career around um, fitness and about being able to get to wherever I'm required on the pitch and 
to be useful when I get there. And uh, as as the years went on, and, and this is me at the age of uh, 19 we're at at the moment, uh, by the time I, you know, 10 years down the line when I was uh, at the peak of my international career, obviously there'd been a huge amount more uh, weight training added, uh, everything was a lot bigger, but I still very much built my uh, my match on, on mobility and be able to keep running and uh, keep producing the goods right the way through to the 80th minute of the match. And uh, it, it, that was the particular thing I, I took from, from boxing. Uh, back then, in, in those days, I still had to prove myself on, on the rugby pitch. I, I didn't get a blue in my second year. Rather bizarrely, my, my captain at that time was was a friend, Gavin Hastings, who became my captain when I moved up to uh, to Scotland uh, and played my first international matches. And, and he was my captain at Cambridge, and the captain picked the side for the last match. And uh, he didn't actually pick me. He uh, he came to my room and announced that I hadn't been picked for the last match at the, uh, in my second term or my second year. So and. Uh, so I, I missed out on, on a, a year of after match uh, rugby there, but I, I did the boxing instead, and and then I, I achieved my rugby blue in my third year. And because I was doing medicine, I had six years there. I went on to play a couple more times uh, in the varsity match, and uh, and then moved up to Scotland after that. But we, uh, it was fantastic uh, place to play rugby. We had a, uh, an immensely talented back line uh, of, of uh, we pretty much had the England back line, um, which was a very impressive set of players. And us forwards, our, our job was just to produce enough ball for them to, to do their magic. But it was a, a fantastic place to spend six years playing rugby. Uh, and really my formative years as a you know, senior rugby player. And, and what was your, what it like for you and, and your family as well to you know, achieve that schoolboy's dream and, uh, and, and get to represent... Scotland at Rugby Union. Uh, well, that, obviously, yeah. uh, the, the family one one assumes were, were immensely proud. My father, obviously, uh, my first ambition had, had been to, to get a blue at Cambridge, achieving that, and then uh, to, get, to start to, to play representative rugby. And, and then there comes a point where where you're playing so well that you think, God, you know, maybe I could go the whole way. And mm. you know, I, I we all have uh, we've all loved to be international sports stars, uh, but uh, during our development, we don't know that that's where we're going to end up. And you know, many of us don't. But I, I was lucky enough to make it, and it, it was really. Uh, I try and explain this to my children. You know, two of my boys are, are interested in rugby. That, that you really want to get yourself to a position that when you take the pitch, uh, whoever you're playing. You're not, you're not afraid of the opposition and you have confidence that you are at the top of your game, you're as well prepared as you can be and uh, that you will be, if not the best player on the pitch, you want to be among the best players on the pitch and that was kind of where I got to. You get up on a plane of form and um, I don't know if form is in America, whether it's a, it's a word that's used in the same way as it is over here, Obviously, form comes from from racing horses and and you know cyclists. Any any sport where you have to keep on performing regularly uh, to hit the top of your form and to to to, to be in perfect physical fertile and confident and playing fantastically to get week in week out taking the pitch knowing that you were on top form and you were going to be uh, among the best players on the pitch was where you needed to be in order to launch your international career and it, it's, uh, it was a fantastic feeling to, to go on the pitch knowing that, that there was no one you need fear you know going to be in, in your in, in the opposition or or in, in your own team you knew you were going to be one of the stars of, of the show because you were just in such fine fracture and one injury could put paid to it all but you, you needed to avoid injury and get a, a run of matches to, to develop good form and that's I've always thought the launching pad for International, uh, an international career, and in, presumably in any sport, but particularly in rugby, is to uh, to get a run of form and to avoid injury. You know, so there is an element of luck to it as well. It must be um, incredible at getting, experiencing, actually being that fit. I, I found myself uh, during the rugby last rugby World Cup, um, 
bizarrely uh, in a in a lift with uh, with a number of the Australian team, and gee, these these guys are so strong and powerful. It was uh, just incredible being in a in a small space with them. Um, you know, to to get to yourself to a stage where actually you don't fear that when you're in uh, sort of combat almost in rugby with them um, must be something else. It was a real privilege, and uh, as I said a couple of times, you know the players are a lot bigger now. Things have changed very much since uh, first my first season uh, playing international rugby, and uh, sadly the attrition uh, to the players from the um, and the concussion, big worry now with, with head injuries uh, within the sport, and uh, it's it's a bit of a nightmare for the powers that be in the game for the. World Rugby that administer the game to to find ways to uh, stop this arms race of people getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I was uh, privileged enough to to play in uh, 1995 in the World Cup in South Africa, and the emerging talent was this amazing uh, uh, player who was playing for New Zealand called Jonah Lomu, and Mm -hmm. he was six foot six and could run 100 meters in under 11 seconds, and he was seemed to be, you know, he was a phenomenon. Uh, and nowadays, quite a few of the players, you know, any team will have a number of players who uh, have attributes of that sort. So what was exceptional uh, how many years ago, 25 years ago, 23 years ago, is uh, is now the norm. And uh, one of the worries in rugby is how to turn this arms race around and go back to a more mobile uh, game rather than this building of of, uh, of muscle, huge amounts of muscle. And I'm sure it's been the same uh, problems in American football and, and uh, in other sports as well. But this is rugby's particular challenge at the moment, which is possibly off-topic, sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's good. I, I Also, you mentioned Gavin Hastings earlier, who was uh, you know, a yeah. very successful captain for Scotland, a real, you know, a real celebrity name going back through... Um, the you know the the, the the international rugby rugby world really, and I wonder what was it like to replace him, and as captain of Scotland, and what did you learn about leadership from the experience? Well, Gavin, uh, Gavin wasn't just our captain. Gavin was our, our chief point scorer as well. In in rugby, you've got uh, a player who, who kicks your your points, your penalties, your conversions. Uh, he was also one of our top try scorers and one of our main attacking weapons. So he he, he was the linchpin of the side. And, and replacing him, I was always going to be different because I wasn't a massive point scorer. I was in the engine room of the uh, of the team producing ball for uh, you know for the stars out, out in the back. So uh, it had to be very different. Um, I thought you know Gavin had some fantastic leadership attributes. He's one of the best people persons uh, uh, that, that I know, if that makes sense. He's, he, he is comfortable talking to anyone, and he has this gift of making other people he is talking to comfortable to, uh, to talk to him. So he has a, he's fantastic at, at communicating you know, on a one-to-one basis throughout the team. And, uh, inevitably, one has to carve out one's own style, and uh, my, early on in my captaincy, we had a very good run. Uh, of, of results and the team is playing very well and we we find a way that everything works and uh, subsequently I was talking about form um, subsequently my form dipped due to injury and trying to lead aside when your own form is not good is, is a real challenge and it is, is the test of the man uh, uh, it's when your own form is good I think leading by example is, is one of the key attributes of uh, of any captain or leader within a team. And uh, when you're on top of your form and you're able to be, by example, being a captain, an awful lot easier than when you're struggling with injury, with, with a body that's beginning to get old. By the time that I was um, appointed captain uh, when I was 31, so uh, I was already beginning to get to my sell-by date as such. And uh, But uh, it, there is always this, this balancing act uh, in any sport, but in rugby, where uh, you're you're beginning to lose your speed, uh, you're beginning to you know, your body is deteriorating, but your experience gives you this this uh, wealth of wisdom in the game, and you 
you know, you've learned all the shortcuts, you've learned how to cope with all the situations, and it's always that uh, one grass going up, your experiences are growing, and you're getting more skilled and, and uh, clever as a player, but at the same time, yeah, your body is beginning to uh, slow down and pack up just through the wear and tear of a, of a very physical game. And uh, through the second half of my captaincy, it was very different to the first half. First half, everything was going fine. We could conquer the world. And second half, it was just a, a battle. The results didn't go away. Leadership was an awful lot harder when you were struggling with your own form. And uh, it's, you know, it, it's uh, an experience. These are all experiences in life that you learn from. But uh, back in, in my day, it was, you know, you, we had the good times, we had the bad times, and, and one learns from them. And uh, so often nowadays when things aren't going well, particularly in Scottish rugby, has had a, a difficult run uh, up until the last couple of years, and people would hark back to the good old days, you know, well, get your boots on, Rob, that you brought them and such. Like <laughs> but, but we, you know, we, we had hard times as well. And uh, character is developed by conquering hard times. Yeah, that's a real, uh, I think you're absolutely right there, that uh, character is developed by conquering the hard times. And, and, and I think uh, if you've not experienced rugby and an international rugby match, most um, people listen from all over the world here, um, you know, a, a match, England, Scotland, um, and uh, the atmosphere at uh, Murrayfield is something to behold. And uh, you know, I wonder how you you coat with the sort of nerves on these big occasions because you've you've got these massive, you know, Scotland versus England kind of a uh, little bit of a national inter- sort of national grudges between the countries, and and both sides really really want to win. And you've got the media on your shoulders as well. How do you deal with that pressure? Well, sometimes you deal with it wrong. Sometimes <laughs> you, know, you make mistakes. And I look back on some of the things I was persuaded to do by by the media, and uh, and and cringe. But uh, it's yeah, that's what you you know there for. You wanna you want to play the big games, and that's where the excitement is. And Scotland England was uh, a massive, the oldest uh, rugby fixture. Um, rather bizarrely, the other old one is is Oxford versus Cambridge. These are the oldest rugby fixtures there are. I think Scotland first played England something like 1872. I may have got that date slightly wrong, but it, this is an ancient uh, match that's been going on for years and reflects a huge amount of history between two countries that sit next to each other and, uh, and have conquered each other as such over the centuries. Uh, so it was a massive event. And to go on to the pitch, I, I remember my first match, uh, playing the first Calcutta Cup, which is the name of the Scotland-England game, uh, coming down the, the tunnel onto the pitch into this amazing atmosphere. Uh, just feeling 10 foot tall, you were so pumped up and uh, excited about getting into the game. And I uh, I actually broke my cheekbone during the game and had to, be, um, had to come off. I always wondered how I would have lasted the last uh, 25 minutes of the match because at some stage I was going to blow up because it was just playing 100 miles an hour. It was uh, there's a concept that the Vikings had called berserker. Uh, uh, to go berserk is an expression in the English language now. But berserker was uh, where the Vikings would strip off their, most of their clothes and go into battle and. Uh, I, I felt a little bit like a, a berserker playing uh, against England that first match just because one went into almost a, a physical trance of, uh, of just uh, ignoring the pain and uh, doing battle with the enemy as such. And I had to leave, as I say, uh, before the end with a, with a fractured cheekbone. But uh, I, as I say, wondered whether, whether I would have made the end of the match still functional. <laughs> Uh, as a player, or where I, at some stage I just would have run out of juice, but it was a, a fantastic match to be in. Sadly, um, we were ahead with it a minute to go, and there was a famous refereeing decision that went against us, and uh, and, and we lost in the final minute, and you know, hugely disappointing, but uh, an amazing thing to be involved in, and uh, subsequently played in many times, and uh, always uh, uh, an honour and a fantastic thing to. Uh, to be on the pitch for the crowd, the, the atmosphere, 
and just the physical battle with the old enemy as, as they're known up here was, uh, was wonderful and uh, a real honour to be been involved in. Incredible. Well, with us, it was incredible. And we're going to have to go to commercial break now. And after the commercial break, we're going to find out a little bit about um, the next phase of your life, uh, moving to moving to Col. Uh, so looking forward to that. We'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. Do join us after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Rob Wainwright. We've been talking about uh, about Rob's uh, remarkable life and about him captaining uh, the rugby team, um, the Scottish rugby team, uh, and uh, some of his battles against England, which um, as somebody who's watched rugby over the years, um, I can only uh, imagine what that's like. It must have been incredible being a part of that, and the, the physicality is unbelievable. And I r- wonder, Rob, you know, when your career kind of came to an end, um, what did you do next, and uh, how did you end up? Uh, doing what you've what you've done in, in terms of uh, moving to Col and and quite a different mm. life. Well, I, I just need to put a quick postscript on onto the onto the rugby because uh, Scotland were beaten by uh, the US in uh, uh, a couple of months ago in rugby, which was the first. So rugby, a growing game in uh, for your audiences in, in the states and uh, becoming more successful on on the world stage. But. Uh, uh, I, I finished rugby. I, I was an army doctor, and I was a, uh, obviously a, a professional rugby player as well by the end of my career. And uh, when I finished, uh, we I, I retired from the army. I gave up medicine, and we moved up to a small island in the Hebrides, a three-hour ferry journey off the mainland uh, with our four kids, and um, bought a farm there which at the time seemed a rather peculiar thing um, to everyone that knew me. But uh, if we go back to, to ambitions, I spoke earlier on about one of my first ambitions was to get to Cambridge and to, to win a blue. Well, one of my other ambitions was to, uh, to go and live on the, the western seaboard of Scotland, an area that I love, the West Highlands of Scotland, uh, where I am today, and uh, I, I live on an island offshore from here. And... Hey, uh, while it seems strange to everyone else, it's just another one of my ambitions. And we were talking uh, about what makes make success, and I, I very much believe that goal setting uh, is one of the key things to success. Goal setting, uh, commitment uh, to whatever you have set out to achieve, and then patience, because it can take a, a long time to get to where you need to be. But I'd always wanted to live on the north, uh, in the northwest of Scotland. And when the opportunity came, uh, off we went, and uh, we didn't really plan to live on, on an island. It just happened that uh, the, the property that most fitted the bill happened to be on an island, quite a remote island. Um, but we, we seized it, went there, and uh, I'm happy to say at this particular time I'm off-island at the moment, but all, all my children, they've, they've all left school now, but they're all on the island at this time. It's great to have them all home again, and 
Uh, it's very gratifying that they, they love Ireland life as much as we do. And it's not without its, uh, its drawbacks and challenges, but uh, it's fantastic to see that from a parental point of view, uh, our children uh, are as tied and attached to the island as we are. Actually, they're probably more tied and attached because they've, they've lived their whole life there, whereas we've had experiences elsewhere on, on the mainland of Scotland or and beyond uh, in our life. But their, their life has been mainly based uh, is on the small island of Col, and fantastic that they uh, love it and want to spend as much time there as, as we do. So I've been to, I haven't been to Cole, but I've been to Mull, which is uh, not, mm-hmm. so, not so far away from uh, you in Cole. And it is just the most, the scenery is just astonishing. And uh, I went and stayed there with my wife and went out to see the minke whales and golden eagles and otters. And, and uh, it is just, just breathtaking. Uh, so it must be a, an amazing place to live. But you do have some pretty harsh weather there as well to, to manage. Yeah. It's it's a it's a demanding place to live logistically. Um, living so far away from uh, shops, etc., um, is is demanding. There are plus sides. There are so many plus sides. We, we live in a great community of about two hundred people, uh, and all the benefits of community, which is uh, lost to, to most people in in um, the Western world today, it's very difficult for people to understand the. The, the give and take, the responsibilities and the benefits of, of living in a community where everyone has to uh, take a number of roles, uh, you have to contribute, you can't just sit back and let it all be done by others. And it's, it's a marvellous thing for us to be involved in. It's a great lesson for our children as well. Uh, you know, that um, it can't all be take, it's got to be a lot of give as well. And you, you, you mentioned a long list of amazing wildlife and uh, and scenery, as you say, I was out uh, on the boat. Uh, we have a small boat. We just do some fishing through the summer uh, in, and we were out uh, coming back from a picnic on I mean, a small island off uh, Coal and came across a minke feeding in a massive shoal of sand eels and uh, to be up close to them. And we also have a lot of basking sharks that, that uh, come in the summer and to be up close to eight-metre-long fish just passing within inches of your boat is, uh, is uh, just an amazing experience and, uh, you know, reminds you that it's worthwhile living out, out in the sticks, out in a far remoter part of the, uh, the world than, than we used to, and we, uh, we absolutely love it. Uh, I, can, I can imagine it. It's just, um, just wonderful if you're being out there part of nature you you feel part of it and the sunsets and things i mean you must see the northern lights sometimes do you in the winter yeah we we, we have dark sky status these days on the island which means we're one of the best places to, to look at the uh, the night sky uh northern lights come come and go but we we have so little light pollution up with us that uh, you get a great view of the night sky sunsets um we're, we're quite a low-lying island so we get very wide horizons and uh, we, we do we get amazing sunsets on on the flip side of that is that we get huge amount of wind we get a lot of bad weather and rain in the in the winter and you know uh, we quite welcome that we like our winters um, we love our summers but we, we like our winters a uh, great time uh, for uh, catching up socially with uh, our friends on the island and uh, you know being snug in, in in a warm room by a roaring fire when it's horrible outside uh, isn't you know without its compensation. And then what's it? I mean, what's it like living in that community of just a, a couple of hundred people? I mean, I, I know I live in a, a small a small village, and uh, the and when I've got in, I've got involved with villages nearby, and uh, we've had, we've done some sort of social things, and but you can sometimes be. You know, if you if you you can be a bit close for com- too close for comfort sometimes. If you maybe maybe have a, a crossword with a neighbour or something like that, and it's how, how do you deal with those sorts of issues when you're very much together on on a small oh, island? Um, yeah. a, a community's full full of all uh, sorts and types, and you're not going to agree with everyone all the time. And one of the key things is is trying not to uh, to fall out with people over mm-hmm. trivial matters and. Uh, Interestingly, I, I drew upon uh, my my British Lions experience 
British and Irish Lions when we went on tour to South Africa. We spent the first week setting up the protocols for, for the seven-week tour of how uh, how we want, wanted the tour to be run. It was a fantastic bit of management from Fran Cotton, the, uh, the tour manager. And a lot of it was to do with tension prevention. And uh, we, we set protocols how... how those that were selected to play in a test match, for example, against South Africa, uh, and those that didn't get selected, how the interaction between the two uh, would be managed so that there, there was no um, no grievances uh, you know, or no bad feeling developed because someone had been picked in your position and you hadn't. Uh, and, you know, one, one can draw... Uh, correlations to, to living in a small community and I, I think uh, it's true for all walks of life that the, the ability to compromise when required is, uh, is probably the most important part of it and uh, we tend to talk in, in island terms about uh, people who are black and white and those that are prepared to compromise and uh, I think compromise is, uh, is very important sometimes if, if small Small feuds do not, uh, you know, uh, to be prevented from becoming big feuds. And so, uh, but that's, it's a very negative way to, to look at it. The, the, the benefits of small community are fantastic. And uh, any function that we have on the island, be it, you know, a keely and a dance or uh, a quiz, uh, fun, you know, it's very well attended. Everyone loves getting together and, you know, a huge number of friends. And, and one learns when one lives in a, a small community to, to get on with people of, of a like outlook, no matter what age or background they are. And when when we moved there, we were used to dealing with people who were probably within about five years of our age, but some of our best friends, uh, when we moved to the island, were suddenly 20, 30 years older than us. And now some of them are an awful lot younger than us. But if they are fun people to be with, if they have a similar outlook, uh, then they're the people you want to spend time with. You're not uh, restricted by background or, or what year you were born. You just have to get on with uh, the people that you enjoy the company of, uh, which is a lesson in life, I think. I think it's a really good lesson, lesson in life. And uh, you know, from your, you know, uh, you know, farm, and you've got an extensive farm. Um, what, um, in what principles do you think you've kind of learned from uh, sheep farming and uh, on the island? That uh, you know maybe could help people when they're trying to lead um, you know more remarkable lives during their journey. Uh, I, I wouldn't like to get any shepherd's philosophy going here. It's uh, it's a wonderful life. I love dealing with animals. They're animals, uh, as the old adage says, don't work with children or, or animals. But they, um, personally, I find that dealing on a, an hour-to-hour work-time basis with animals is probably a lot easier than dealing with people. And mm. uh, uh, I, I, have, I have no huge or uh, wonderful philosophy to bring in uh, other than the more you put in, the, the more you take out. And it's, uh, it's about grafting. And for me, doing something I love, one of my particular joys is, uh, is working with dogs, um, which is a, a very small micro team as such, you and your dog working together uh, and you know, working with sheep particularly, but cattle as well. Fantastic to, to be in a team of two usually, which is me and my dog, and uh, that's one of my, my great pleasures. And happy to see that my children are experiencing that as well. And uh, a, a well-trained dog is a, is a thing of art, you know, a work of art to me, absolutely wonderful thing. But uh, I can't. I, I can't. I'm struggling to think of any 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 great philosophy I can bring from sheep farming to the world in general. I'm afraid, uh, Chris. Well, I think I think the I think the message is you know you have uh, you know you you had this in, you know, this incredible career and you've uh, you know you feels very much like you found you know found peace and in in the work that you're doing now and uh, you, know, you sound very sort of grounded with the island life and connected and. Um, it, it sounds a wonderful way of being. Yeah, I, I, I uh, often think or uh, get asked about success, and for me, I think a definition of success is to be happy with, with what you are doing, who you are, and where you are. And it, yeah. you don't need to have the, the grand achievements. You, it doesn't really matter on the scale of achievement. But I think achievement in itself is a very important 
uh, route to happiness, achievement gives self-confidence and, and gratification and, and contentment. And, uh, and that achievement can be minor, it can be massive, but if I go back to it, my definition of success is to be happy with who you are and where you are and uh, not what other people think of you, but like what you think of you. And uh, uh, that's certainly the way we live life over in the islands and, and certainly uh, I'm happy with uh, where I am, who I am. God, we could all make improvements. And... Uh, but uh, you know, it's it's been a fantastic journey so far, and the great news is that in in my fifties, you know, life's great fun. We had a, a great adage that our, our team doctor told us on one one rugby tour when asked someone asked if they should have gone out, uh, you know, for a drink or two after a match, and uh, when he had a slight injury, and, and the doctor's answer was that life was for living, and it's certainly if you ask that, my my philosophy is that life's for living. Don't sit back and, and let it go past. Go out and, and grab it and enjoy it, uh, and um, help people on the way. You know, it isn't just about you, but uh, but it is also about you. And you've got to find time for yourself and, and live in your life. Um, Rob, it's been absolutely amazing having the opportunity to talk to you. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, I think that print, you know that life is for living. Be happy with who you are, where you are. Uh, it all makes normal amount of sense. It's kind of an in, inside job, really, isn't it? That you, you know, to be able to live your life and uh, feel contentment and feel like you've you've lived it well, and be really connected in with others. And uh, you know, you really just demonstrate to me this, uh, you know, living a you know fulfilled and remarkable life, and uh, and uh, with some you know incredible phases and journeys so hopefully you know you'll be able to look back as a an old man you're still in your 50s that's that's very young because i'm in my 50s now too <laughs> and uh, you'll, you'll be able to look back on it all and enjoy it all over again which i think is important well it's been enjoyable so far and i, I look forward to it continuing to be so in, in the future and, and hope uh, that my children can, can find a similar level of, of uh, success and contentment Fantastic, Rob. We've got, got to leave you now. Thank you so much, Rob. Um, on next week's show, we have uh, Daniel Wood, who's an entrepreneur from Sweden, and Annie Seal, who is described as the rally princess of Sweden. She's one of the most successful Swedish rally drivers um, of, uh, of, uh, in the history, Swedish history. So we'll be talking to them on next week's show. Uh, once again, a huge thank you to Rob Wainwright. And if you've got any questions or uh, thoughts, do send them to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. I'd love to hear from you. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.